Greetings and welcome to episode 24 of the Old Patrol HQ podcast. I'm your host, Gil Maza. This podcast is dedicated to celebrating and preserving the history, heritage, and legacy of the Old Patrol through the words of those who lived it, both past and present, with a few shenanigans along the way. Ever wonder how you would react in an active shooter situation while you were off duty? Today we speak with Border Patrol Agent Josue Sepulveda, Class 1045 out of Laredo North, who on September 8th, off-duty, was at the wrong place at the right time, and stepped up to protect the citizens of San Antonio, Texas from an active shooter. And we have his story here, exclusively at Old Patrol HQ. Honor first, honor always. Good morning, Josue, and welcome to the Old Patrol HQ podcast. Good morning, sir. How are you doing today? Doing great, brother, and I'm glad you took time on your day off to have this conversation with us today. No, no problem at all. Uh, I have seen a little bit of uh, the Old Patrol HQ, and uh, when I heard about this, I, I, I couldn't pass up the opportunity. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Well, you know, we invited you to, to talk today because um, I'd like to hear about the incident you had off-duty just a few days ago. But before we get on to that, I really would like to know about you a little bit. Like, for instance, um, tell me how you got started in the patrol. Um, you know, it was, <laughs> it was actually very interesting. I had no idea Border Patrol even existed. <laughs> uh, I was um, from a military background, my father... Uh, then I joined the army. We just kept moving. Uh, my father worked uh, in Southcom mm-hmm. in Miami, and he had a joint meeting with all the other agency to speak about, you know, security and all the other stuff. And he had happened to meet the uh, the chief of Miami sector. And <laughs> in between all those conversations, my father told me, "Hey, why don't you why don't you talk to him? See how you feel about it." Uh, he told me about the job and the work and and then I actually went and met with uh, with a Border Patrol agent at the Miami uh, sector office and he explained to me about his time in Arizona and he talked to me about you know the work and everything you do and it hits every checkbox for what I was wanting to do uh, I was trying to adjust from the military you know figuring out what I really wanted to do I was I had tried an office job and it was not hitting. It was not working for me. So the Border Patrol came like uh, a godsend to check every box of what I was looking for. Wow. And you uh, you grew up in Miami? I actually have never lived anywhere more than a couple years. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I constantly get asked about, you know, where are you from? I tell them, you know, home is wherever I'm at that day. <laughs> right, you know, because, you know, also for me, I actually, I actually was, uh, I grew up in a border town, Douglas, Arizona. And I had never heard of the Border Patrol until years and years later after I had gotten out of the Marine Corps and uh, someone said, hey, the Border Patrol is hiring, you know, if you're interested. And I said, what the heck is that? And uh, <laughs> turned out to be the best job I never knew I wanted. Yes, sir. Definitely. <laughs> so uh, you went to the Academy in Artesia, correct? Yes, sir. And how was that for you? Um, it, it was it, it was definitely a, a different experience. Um, I was trying to adjust to to all the different pieces because uh, I kept trying to accrue it to you know military. Yeah. You know, so I kept thinking, but but at the same time, all these freedoms that were involved. You know, you were an adult, but at the same time, there was all this structure. Yeah. So it was. 
couple of conflicting pieces at times because I was like, what do I do with these weekends off? <laughs> How do I deal with all this freedom? You know, I don't have to make my bed. There's like all these people taking care of things and yeah. you can eat what you want. I was like, I, <laughs> it was all confusing and exciting at the same time. Yeah, kind of your first taste of, uh, of independence as an adult, huh? Yes, sir. It was, yeah. it was different. <laughs> Very different. Oh, man. And... Uh, what did you um? What did you like about the academy, or, or what was your hardest? Uh, what was your hardest? Uh, you know, subject or situation at the academy when you went to it? Besides the weekend, besides not knowing to do with your with your weekends. Yeah, I, I gotta say, um, it was definitely parts of law. Mm -hmm. It was definitely parts of law. I I enjoyed PT. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, PT structures. You know, I felt like I could connect more with farms and PT. But when it came to law. That's where I was like, okay, man, you, you really need to get on it. You need to pay close attention. Uh, you know, this is not like the military where you get your ROEs. As long as you follow these rules, you're good. There were so many variations. You know, I wanted, I learned it right. I learned it well to make sure, you know, that I was dealing with a lot of, uh, you know, changing situations. So, yeah, law was definitely something where I felt I needed to put a lot more towards to make sure I did it right. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how similar my situation was too because that was my hardest subject as well. I mean, I was already a native speaker, and uh, the only thing I really struggled with was was law. But it sounds like you uh, you really were taking it seriously as far as uh, trying to figure out and get to know your job. Yes, sir. Um, my, my dad always had a, a thing he used to say to me. He's like, I, I don't care what you do, um, but you need to be the best at it. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a janitor, you need to be the best janitor there is. If you want to be uh, play a sport, you gotta you gotta master it. You gotta be the best at that sport. So when I decided border patrol is gonna be my career, I I basically made that same assumption. It's like I'm coming in. There is no plan B. Uh, failure is not an option, mm -hmm. and gotta get this done and get right the first time. Yeah, yeah, that's how I felt too, man. I did not want to go back. A second time. No, sir. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> so, uh, graduation day came. How did that feel? Uh, I've graduated from lots of courses, you know, in the military. I graduated airborne school. I've done leadership courses, uh, engineer school. Uh, I've done so many courses. But i got to say, the one that's given me the most, uh, not necessarily been happiness, but feeling of accomplishment was uh, graduating from, from Border Patrol. Um, I think it came from a feeling of, you know, from the military, you know, when you graduated, when I graduated from all our courses, we're soldiers now, um, or Marine, and I was going to do great things on behalf of my country, but in, in a foreign land. Mm -hmm. You know, it was not going to be at home, but I felt I was finally going to be able to do great things for my community directly affecting Americans directly. Yeah. So I think when it came to Border Patrol is the one that gave me the most uh, satisfaction, the most uh, fulfillment. Yeah, yeah, wow. Um, well, I, I glossed over, I think, a little bit the fact that you were in the military. So you were in the Marine Corps before you we came on the Army, before you came to the Border Patrol. And yes, sir. How many years? Uh, so it was actually kind of funny, you know, I was, I was 17 years old and, uh, I was trying to enlist 
All I wanted was uh, give me a rifle and send me there. I'm ready. You know, that 17-year-old ready to take on the world. You know, yeah, you know Not, when you know everything. Yeah, I know it. I know everything. Just give me the rifle. I can go change the war. I can win at everything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and the, the life started coming around a little more. And, and uh, my father, he was, uh, he actually retired from the Army. He did 30-plus uh, years. Um, and he sat me down and he said, look, son, you know, there's a lot more to life than what you're thinking at 17. Mm -hmm. So take it through. I sat with a recruiter. I was going to go through my enlistment process. And part of it, you know, he said, look, you know, why not go to college? I said, maybe I'll do it after. And then an opportunity came up to get an ROTC scholarship. And I had both choices. And after hearing all the arguments, my father said something to me. Because he was a chief at that point. Mm -hmm. He was a warrant And he said, look, you have the possibility of not just affecting change as a leader, but you can create the change you want to see in the organization. So when he said that, I think a little bit of matureness on that 17-year-old popped up. Mm -hmm. I decided to take the scholarship. Uh, I started in 2009, and I did my four years at Florida International University down in Miami. Mm -hmm. Graduated. I took my commission as an engineer officer. A little bit that 17 year old endured. And uh, <laughs> when they engineer and they talked about explosives, I was I, I stopped hearing anything else. I just <laughs> you got me. Like you had me at explosives. Let's do it. <laughs> and that that's how they got me. So I went with the engineers. Uh, I went to Fort Leonard with Missouri for my uh, basic bullock. And I fell in love with it. Mm. I fell in love with the job, the responsibilities, uh, the guys. It was a perfect mixture of everything. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a life-changing piece. Wow. And now, um, once you, you were reported, where did you reported to, uh, you said Eagle Pass North uh, when, you, when you came out of the academy, right? Yes, sir. That was my original station. It was, uh, it was a little bit different. Uh, I've been all over the world. I've been in Latin America. I was in Colombia for a while. I've been in Ecuador. Uh, been in Germany for a little bit. You know, I've, I've moved around a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, definitely, when I got to Eagle Pass, it, it, it was different. It reminded me a lot of my time in Latin America, and it was it was nice. I was used to it. I was comfortable. I thought Eagle Pass was nice. The, the only thing that it came down to, I love the station. I love the work. The people were great. I learned so much in Eagle Pass. It was, uh, I think, my family. Uh, my parents liked traveling and visiting us a lot. And the two and a half hours to pick them up in San Antonio and two and a half hours back, mm -hmm. getting old. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I was, can imagine. Yes, sir. And what was the work like there when you got there? Uh, when I got to Eagle Pass, it was before all the... I mean, we had had some family units, but it was before all the, the, the mass influx of family units. Um, we were working the field, you know, at the Normandy area, which was on one of the bigger ranches, you know, on, on the outskirts towards our, the end of our EOR. Mm -hmm. that, that was dope there. Uh, there were bigger groups. Uh, you could pretty much work everything in Eagle Pass, you know, on the lowers... 
local down, you could have, oh, you, you your pick of the, the small groups, you know, three, four, five, but they were coming all day. Yeah. So you were going to work that day because they was running and gunning all day. <laughs> you know, it never ended. Yeah, and, which sounds, that sounds like how you like it. Yes, yes, I, I definitely love it. I, I love Eagle Pass, uh, man. I think, honest to God, sir, if uh, if it was not for a little bit of the accommodations for my family, I think I probably would stay there. Yeah, and what did you enjoy doing? Like, what was you know, like everybody, all every PA gets in there and they have a you know the little niche that they like, you know, whether it's sign cut or or uh, sniffing dope off the freeways, you know, making vehicle stops. What did you enjoy? What was your, like, little niche that you enjoyed doing? Um, see, I'm going to be honest, sir. Like, I think, I think I'm a, bit, a little bit odd in uh -huh. that side. If I do something too much, I think my lifestyle, I, I, get, I start getting angsty. Uh -huh. I still get him. So I think the switching around and the variety, I think that's what's kept me in love with Border Patrol. So I love laying in. I love uh, I love moving in. I love trying to plan things. I love trying to get you know get the dope, get the bodies. Yeah. Love tracking. I love the high speed pursuits here in Laredo. I mean, it's a <laughs> it's a little bit of everything. I think uh, I don't have a specific niche. I, I just love the job. Man, I, I tell you what, and I, I retired last March, and you're making my adrenaline just like overflow right now. Just <laughs> thinking about it, you know. I mean, it was, it was such a great ride for me. Uh, and uh, you're uh, in the middle of it and it sounds like even with everything going on you're still finding a way to enjoy the job and uh, and and go out and, and hold the line even even now yes sir uh, there, there was something very important that I, I, I got from uh, one of my mentors in the military he said in life there are plenty of things you cannot control they're beyond your uh, your responsibility focus yeah. in what you can control the rest of the stuff is noise that you cannot affect. Hmm. Focus on what you have control over. And that's what I've applied to my life, you know. Things change, policy situations, whatever it has to be, it's going to change. But I have my responsibilities and the thing I can control, and that's what I choose to focus on, sir. Yeah, well, dang, I, I think I needed to hear that this morning myself. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Um, so you worked in Eagle Pass North, and then you ended up transferring to Laredo North. Yes, sir. So from uh, from the frying pan into the fire. Yes, sir. <laughs> Tell me I, about I, that transition. Oh man, it was. Uh, I was not ready. I, I'm gonna say that off the bat. <laughs> Anybody that tells you they step into Laredo sector and they know what they're coming from, uh, it's. It, I don't wanna say they're lying, but. <laughs> If, if, they, if they knew what was coming, I'm not ready. Oh. Uh, I think within my first week, uh, I had uh, I had a, I was paired up with uh, my partner because he was still showing me the area, getting me a little used to it. Mm -hmm. And with and roving patrol, and we had a call come into the radio. Off duty agent had reported a, an accident. Uh, past the checkpoint, probably, I think it's like 40-something mile marker, I can't remember right now. And we got there, and a tractor trailer had flipped off an SUV. It had flipped, and uh, some people got ejected from the vehicle. There were some children, uh, some oh. adults. And, I mean, I had barely been in when a week, and I came straight into this. We were there, and uh, it was just a shock to the body trying to figure out, okay, now what do we do? 
Um, you know, my partner took the vehicle, started blocking off 35 coming southbound. We started assessing the the, 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 the people, you know, EMTs were coming in route. Uh, everybody was working on, more agents started coming in. And, and in between all the chaos, everybody was working so kind of calm and, and everybody was just doing their thing. And and I just, it took a second for me to be like, wow, did this, this guy's, this is not their first rodeo. They've been through this a lot before. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, eventually, you know, a little bit of my military training came in. Uh, we started coordinating the helicopters coming in for the medevacs, send them back to the hospital. And, you know, you, you don't hear about this, but we landed three helicopters in the interstate. Oh. And, and we were just, you know, okay, coordinating. You know, I was asking the EMTs which one goes first. And, you know, I was then going to talk to the ambulance out of the helicopter and be like, this one goes first, this one goes second. And they were just being lifted. Uh, DPS was handling everything. And it was just a, a perfect, if you want to call it, in between all the chaos, everybody was just calm and doing their job. And and it definitely showed me something that I was like, wow, this these people are like 100 miles per hour, but but they know what they're doing. Yeah, so you were impressed. That was beyond impressed. Uh, it, it was amazing. All my, you know, my, the rest of the agents work with all the other agencies, with other law enforcement, with medical. It was, it was amazing. Well, and this is coming from somebody that has seen a little something. You didn't come out, you know, you, you, know, you, you didn't come off, uh, you know, working a pizza place and then joining the patrol. You had experience in the army you had experience around the world and uh yet you come in and you see this agency just kicking ass out there and like you said you know calm in the midst of a storm doing what they got to do and still uh, every single day regardless of the politics and all the nonsense they're still out there doing the same thing and you were you you noticed that immediately it it was immediately i mean the 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 skill the the EMTs were actually our EMTs were the first ones there. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they usually beat the EMS because you know we're right there. Yes, and these guys are pros at it. I mean, they went in and they were you know the they call them the the little switchblades. You know they were just straight out and like taking care. Of EMT came over. They were just like talking all their like medical lingo back and forth, and and it's just amazing how professional, well trained these guys are. Yeah. And so um, you said that um, before, uh, you know, we're going to, like I said, we're going to talk about September 8th and what happened that day. But you said that even before that, you were having a few interesting days at work. Uh, seemed a lot more than normal lately. Uh, yes, sir. I, I mean, I, I got to say, um, I mean, I've only been in Laredo two years. This is going to be my third. But I, I've definitely seen, you know, things things have been changing. Uh, there's been a lot of craziness going on. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a stolen ambulance with a DPS officer that got injured. And that day I was paired up with a IMT. And he he was, man, that, that guy, I always give him my respect. We usually have conversations, me and him. And he's he's a very, uh, a very professional guy, but he likes to go above, you know, with a lot of his pieces. And he, he likes to be medically trained. And, you know, he likes to train with his gun. Trains in tactics, and we had a conversation. I think, and that day, and he was saying, "Man, I like I like to train for the what if." And I said, "Like I said, well, what do you mean, what if?" He said, I-, "I like to think about what if this happens. What am I gonna do? 
what if that happens? Well, if that happens, I'm going to do this. So he was talking about all the variables that, you know, through the day we don't think about, you know, yeah. planning for doing all these things. And I was like, I, I mean, I do the same. And he was like, right. So me and him were uh, having a conversation about it. And <laughs> we had a little PRD alert. We were taking care of all this, uh, you know, uh, radioactive report that we got to send up and we just get the call and the suit goes like there's a stolen ambulance coming up and right away i mean we grabbed the spikes and we were going out there to set up and by the time we looked up you know this ambulance is crashing through the checkpoint on the side you know it's just going through the barricades and it's just coming straight through we never got a chance to set up wow so we start trying to get behind him, and I mean, this guy, he's being crazy, he's reckless, he's going northbound on the southbound lane, he is going on the west axis, east axis, he's swerving. It was a miracle that he never got hit by an oncoming tractor trailer. Uh, you know, we turned everything over to the local agency that was coming in. We were kind of just concerned about something was going to go south. And since he was EMT, we were just, you know, trying to follow along to make sure somebody was all right. But uh, there was a point we were on the coming behind. Uh, we were a little bit farther behind. And that's when we heard, you know, that he had hit the trooper. As soon as we got in, mm. I mean. You could see the car. I'm pretty sure you've seen the pictures. He had the whole driver's side was messed up. We could not open the door. Uh, we had to pry open the, the passenger side. We had to. I had to rip off that middle console. And uh, my partner brought in uh, the board. And I mean, at that point, he was the boss. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was just. What else do you need, buddy? You you tell me what you need. So we he told me to put him on the let's put him on the board, and I was just you know assisting him with whatever he needed. But you know that that's what it's always been with the patrol. I think especially here in Laredo sector, you know, from one second to another, you could be from just watching paint dry to you know hundred miles per hour. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. So um, let's get to the day uh, that was September eighth. Um, you were off duty. Tell us how your day started. <laughs> uh, so I actually had to go get seen by a specialist in San Antonio. I, I got injured trying out for horse patrol. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. And uh, I finally got my, my date with the specialist. I'm heading over to San Antonio. And my wife was going to come with me. But I was like, you know what? It's, it's a single day. Um, the kids have to go to school. Why don't we just, why don't you just stay back? I'll go in, get up scene, and I'll come back. And she was like, yeah, fine, no problem. Um, I went up, I got seen by the specialist, uh, but it was actually something funny that I, I not, not funny, but I guess attention to detail, mm -hmm. uh, something that I've always had with me. And when I was leaving the parking lot to go see the specialist, I noticed there was a lot of people um, sitting in their cars. Uh, you know, because of COVID, not a lot of people can go into the into the hospital or into the doctor. So a lot of people end up waiting, you know, for their significant others or whoever they come with in their cars. So I remember seeing a couple of people in their cars. I went, I saw the specialist, I came back down. And as I'm getting to my truck there, I hear some hollering and screaming in the back. I look back and I see a, a man, you know, he's without a shirt, but on the edge of the, of the parking lot, there's a park. So I'm like, hey, maybe he's, he was just went running, you know, nothing toward the ordinary. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm closing the door of my truck. I'm about to leave, and I hear a window getting smashed. I hear some glass breaking. 
So I kind of look back and I see the same gentleman. He's, uh, you know, smashing the windshield of this uh, red Corvette. Um, I call 911 and I'm letting them know, hey, you know, there's there's this guy. You know, I gave him the description. He's breaking into his red Corvette. I'm at this address. Uh, you know, this is my phone number. I'm going to just stay here and uh, I'll watch him until you guys get here. At this point, you know, I'm just a concerned citizen. Mm-hmm. They said, uh, no, no, no problem. We'll send somebody over. Uh, I said, okay, thank you. And I hanged the phone. A few seconds went by and I heard the first shot. Oh. So at that point, you know, things slowed down completely. Uh, my first reaction was to put the truck in gear and get a little distance farther from him. Um, once I got behind another line of vehicles, you know, I'm getting out and I looked and I try to make contact with him and I see him, I see him with a handgun in his hand. My first reaction there was to, my first thought was to go at, to, towards him, but at the same time, I remembered all those people inside their vehicles yeah. from Earth. So what I did after that is I, I started going through the rows trying to find people. And I banged on a couple cars. I got him out. You know, I had my badge out, and, and I was just getting them out, moving them out. People that were walking to the parking lot, I started pushing them away. I told them, "There's a man with a gun. Get back inside the hospital. Don't let anybody come in." And uh, a gentleman approached me, and he said, "He asked me if I had another gun." Uh, <laughs> I told him, "No, you know, I'm not gonna give a gun to a stranger." Man, Texicans. So I, yeah, I said, "No, no, sir, but uh, do me a favor. Here's my pickup truck." take it and block the parking lot entrance because more cars were coming in and, and all the vehicles were going towards where he was at. So I ordered him to block off the entrance so that you know we could stop the traffic flow and keeping people out of harm's way. And um, then I moved in. I moved in to try to go see him. Uh, I made contact with him. You know, I identified myself. And, um, you know, he, he was... He, he acknowledged me, but he wasn't paying attention to me. What was he doing he, at? What was he doing that particular moment? Uh, he was just pacing back and forth. Uh, he was screaming, "I want water!" You know, I was like, "Hey, brother, I'll get you water. Uh, just put the gun down." But he, he was so just gun not, in hand. Gun in hand. Okay. He was just not happy. You know, I had my gun drawn. Uh, I, I was I had it aimed straight at him. Um, and out of the corner of my eye, I noticed someone that was definitely not paying attention. I think he was looking down at his phones with some headphones. I don't know. I can't remember that piece, but they were not paying attention. So I was yelling to this person to back away, to go back. So this person was going on the side towards where this gentleman was. Um, I, I broke contact uh, from the subject, and I went straight at this person. I grabbed them, and I, I told him, I was like, get away, I send them back, and um, then I try to, you know, get, again, a visual of this person, of the this armed man. Uh, luckily, at that point, um, the security from the medical center showed up, so I told them to move with me as a team, and we got into a good position, and as, you know, by, as we were approaching, he put a, a round into a blue pickup truck. Empty? Uh, yes, at that time, we believed it was empty. Uh, you know, we were trying to yell out to him to put the gun down. Uh, he brought it back down. And, and, you know, once as soon as we made contact with him again, you know, it's like the moment he got attention, he no longer wanted to be shooting anything. Ah. So he, 
you could kind of, for his behavior, kind of see that he was either on drugs or mentally unstable. It just, it didn't seem like he was all there. What what did he look like? Uh, he was about male, Hispanic, about late 20s, mid 20s. Uh, he had tattoos, no shirt, no shoes, only shorts. Um, he, he definitely, his behavior was unstable. He was back and forth, but he had enough... I want to. I don't know if I call it lucky. He had enough sense, presence of not, mind. Yes, presence of mind, not to bring the gun higher. Because I mean, I told him, I was like, "Do not bring it any higher, man. I don't want to kill you. Please don't bring it any higher. You know, keep the gun down, put it down, put it down." But you know, I guess at least he understood that piece. Uh, PD came in, and I mean, these guys, I gotta say, professionals to the core. They went above and beyond. They were negotiating with him. They did every single effort possibly to, you know, get him to put the gun down. And luckily, at the end, they did. Uh, he ended up putting the gun down. He gave himself up. Uh, the guys came in, all the officers, the ones they handcuffed them. I mean, they were professional. They were respectful. Um, they, I cannot describe it in any other way, but they were, they were perfect law enforcement examples. And this you know, is L Laredo PD, right? No, this is San Antonio oh, PD. San Antonio PD, okay, okay. Because you were in San Antonio. Yes, yes, this was in San Antonio. It's the medical center near SeaWorld. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's where all this thing happened. And uh, and yeah, I mean, once all like San Antonio PD came in, you know, I just, I, I was like, hey, you know, I'll stay in support. I'll do whatever you guys need me to do. But, you know, that the big guns are here. They had their body armor. You know, I, I was just wearing my U.S. soccer jersey, jeans, and my boots. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, um, did you, um, you always carry off duty. Uh, yes, sir. I am a very big advocate of carrying on duty. Doesn't matter if I go anywhere. I could be going to the store. Uh, I could be going to the gas station. I could be going. Don't matter where I go, I carry because I've always had the center belief that I rather have it and not need it that need and not have it. And that is something that my PT instructor, uh, Mr. Gary Ortega, mm -hmm. I don't know if I, he's in, uh, in El Paso now, uh, he grilled that into us. You know, you, 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 gotta, you gotta have it on you. You know, it's better for you to have it and not need it than need and not have it. And, and, you know, it was there in my mind when this whole incident was happening, it was funny because something he said on, on, on PT, uh, kind of stuck with me and it actually helped me through it because I, I was used to the army, you know, the, there was a lot of chaos and, and you know, the, the firefight and there was like screaming and contact and all this stuff. But on this one, it was completely different. Yeah. You know, it, it, it slowed down. Everything slowed down. Like I know San Antonio PD said they were there within a couple minutes, but it felt like forever. It felt ever. It, it felt forever. Um, and something my, Mr. Ortega, Mr. Gary Ortega always said to me and to the class was, stay in the fight. Regardless of the situation, stay in the fight. Breathe, stay in the fight. And and that was, it was like echoing in my head, you know, like it, it was almost as if I was back in the mat room. And yeah. it was just, stay in the fight, breathe, control yourself, stay in the fight. That's what I kept repeating myself the entire time I was going through the motion, just, you know, stay in the fight, stay in the fight. Um, and I think that that definitely helped me to to make logic decisions and, and and you know be able to get through it. 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you, man, um, just listening to you, uh, it, it just, uh, I have to commend you because your situational awareness is just off the charts. I mean, you're telling me how you are assessing the all the people around you, the people in the vehicle, the situation, people driving into the parking lot still, how you took command of that and made sure that you blocked off so nobody comes in, how even though you might have been, uh, you know, had the, 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 the funnel of focus on this guy with this gun, you were still mindful of, of uh, civilians walking up on you, you know, oblivious on their phones. Uh, that to me uh, is just amazing how you handled yourself in this situation, almost like you you know, you, your attention to detail is just, uh, was just amazing. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I think a lot of that came from, uh, my, my military background, uh, the, the route clearance part, you know, my, my guys and our job was, uh, I was in the 388th route clearance company and, uh, we, all we trained for was, uh, clearing our IEDs from the side of the road. So, I mean, it was all attention to detail, you know, like, uh, does that look like a, like a little wire sticking out to, to a command wire to blow us up? Does that look like a, like a little marker of rock stacked? Does that trash bag look like it was placed there on purpose? You know, like all this, like, what if scenarios, all this, like, very minute things that, you know, saved lives. Yeah. And I think I kind of, <laughs> that's kind of stayed with me. I think that definitely has helped me, uh, you know, always keep in mind, you know, where the exits are. Uh, I, I read a lot and I try to follow, you know, Tim Kennedy, a lot of these other, you know, uh, people that are very involved, you know, within protect yourself, protect others, uh, you know, the freedom of like you, you take your security and control under your own hands mm -hmm. and you police are not going to be always, you know, at the around right the corner. So those first couple minutes, you know, you need to be, the, the the protector of your community and, and I'm, I'm definitely a believer of that you know you know we need to get involved in our own security in our community security and that's why i do what i do well um you know you were reluctant to do this podcast because you felt like that might you might sound like you were bragging about yourself or bringing glory to yourself and you're and, and i can already see you're not that kind of person but like i told you it doesn't mean i can't brag about you <laughs> and uh, I think what you, the way you handled yourself in this was just picture perfect. You know, all of us, I carry off duty and I'm always wondering when when I'm gonna, it's going to be my turn to maybe have to react, especially in, in today's world. It seems like it happens more and more often. And just to hear your story and to hear, I mean, let me ask you, I mean, any thought for your own personal safety in this entire situation? I mean, when you, you said initially... You were going to drive off or just wanted to get farther, but that was because you just wanted to get cover, right? Yes, sir. So uh, at the beginning, you know, I was, it was just my, <laughs> I was, I, had, I was in my vehicle right in front of me. I think probably would have been like, uh, maybe like 10, 10, 10 yards. So it was pretty much in, in the line of fire at that point. Yeah. So what I wanted was to, you know, back up, get a little bit and get at least a line of vehicles, you know, behind me. So I had some cover. Because um, I realized, you know, like once I go down, like there's nothing stopping them. Yeah. So yes, I, I have to make sure I, I keep them. But my, my train of thought was going with, uh, I gotta keep him out of the hospital. I, I cannot let him go inside the hospital. So if I can't control him, or if I go down, I have to pin him as much as possible to this corner of the parking lot because I know the cops are coming. Mm -hmm. If I can just keep him here busy and isolated as much as possible. 
even if I can't make sure that he doesn't hurt anybody, I can minimize the injuries. Yeah. That is where I was going with. Um, it, I'm going to be honest. Yes, I did think. Uh, I, I will not tell you I'm not a, hey, you know, I, I, me against the world. I, I can take on anybody. I'm not. I like to think that I, I had fear. I definitely had fear within my actions. Um, I definitely thought about, I always wear my body armor. I, I definitely, the guys sometimes, you know, they joke around about it with me and everything, but uh, I wear it as soon as I put on my uniform, I, I put on my body armor. I put my body armor like I put my belt on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter where I'm going, how I'm going, like I always have it on me. And when all this thing happened, you know, like not having my body armor, not that I, I would wear it off duty, but right. it was it, it was in my mind. It, it definitely was in my mind. And I think uh, when I was, when I called 911 the second time to tell them about the shots fired, um, I told them, because I realized, you know, uh, male, Hispanic, mid-20s, mid to late-20s, I was describing also myself. So I, I it, it clicked in my head and, and I told the dispatcher i said hey um i'm wearing a red and blue jersey mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the guy's wearing a shirt so please make sure that distinction is pushed out yeah. and i think thank god i did that because it didn't click into my head until halfway through me talking to 911 that i was describing myself and i know as law enforcement coming into a very volatile situation with all this chaos yeah and i see a male hispanic mid-20s with a gun drawn i mean yeah. That's put out. I mean, I would have thought I was the, the target also. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know what? Uh, again, something to be said about your situational awareness, because um, uh, when I carry and I have my grandchildren with me, I taught them from an early age. If something happens, you call, you're going to call the police. You're going to call 911, but tell them what grandpa's wearing so they don't shoot grandpa in the process somehow, you know? Yes, sir. Definitely. And I, and that was a second thought. I think I definitely I was not thinking about that because I, I, I started focusing on him and it wasn't until I realized I was like, oh man, <laughs> I just described myself also in there. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta, yeah. I got to throw in something. And, uh, and I think one uh, one very important thing that I realized out of this whole situation, sir, is uh, I've been going through, you know, active shooter scenarios uh, with the military and, and, you know, Border Patrol. And one of the principles that they speak about is, you know, the psychology of, of the population. Yeah. You know, it's not, you see a lot of the TV and, and you know, the chaos of, of people just screaming and going everywhere. It's not always like that. And in my case, it was not like that. People refused to acknowledge that the, what they were hearing were gunshots. It was almost as uh, if their body was telling them to avoid it, avoid accepting that their lives were in danger. Mm. People were casually still walking, still having conversations. Uh, it wasn't until they saw me with the gun out and my badge that they realized, oh, crap, like this this is really happening. Well, I'll tell you, um, a lot of us that, um, whether active or retired and carry off duty, always wonder how we're going to react if the situation were to come and uh, you, is, is, is this the first off-duty incident that you've experienced, um, uh, you know, while you were carrying? Um, I got to say, definitely it is the first off-duty incident where I've had to draw on somebody. Yes. Yeah. Uh, at times before, you know, I have to step in into a fight here and there or like do something off-duty. Uh, somebody got hurt and mm-hmm. I had a pro- things like that, but, but never to the point where I had to draw on somebody. No, sir, that this would be the first time. 
Yeah, and uh, and the what 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 you did today, well, that day, and how you did it is, I think, how all of us, every single last one of us that's hearing this story, would like to react with that presence of mind, with that sharp focus, not getting so tunnel vision that we, uh, you know, forget all our surroundings around us, because that's one of the effects, right, of of uh, that kind of um, crisis or emergency is. The slowing down of time, like you said, the the just that tunnel vision of just you're focused on the weapon or you're focused on the subject, and you manage to handle that all, you know, in a, in such a professional way, in a way I think again, uh, and like I said, you're not the one bragging, I'm the one bragging, but just the one you you handled yourself in a way that all of us, I want to make, I want to be that guy next. If I have to do that, if I have to be involved, I want to be able to handle it that same way. And I, that, that's an inspiration to me, you know, and also something you said earlier about the people not just really refusing to realize they were in danger. I mean, they had a, they, th those people without even knowing it. And some of them will never know that they had a freaking sheepdog around them that was watching out for them, whether they knew it or not or understood it or not or even wanted it or not. You know? Yes, sir. <clears throat> um, yes, sir. I one of the things that I, I like to think about and, and I tell my wife is uh, not everybody's gonna not everybody's gonna like me not everybody's gonna love me not everybody's gonna agree with me but I wholeheartedly believe that you know America has given me so much and America to me will always be the best place the best country the best society we can ever see in the entire world and even if they don't agree with me or if they don't like me they deserve to be protected Mm. My my values have taught me that. My family's taught me that. Uh, my agency's taught me that. Even if somebody hates me or disagrees with me, I will go to the ends of the world to protect them and protect their freedoms. And and that is just the way I think every border patrol agent operates. And uh, and I think that's just the way. That's what makes our country great. We can disagree, but when the metal meets the meat, we step up and we don't back down. I think I accidentally called Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny because that uh, that's a, a couple of the guys were were messing with me uh, with like you know my hero my this <laughs> you know if, if uh, they're not messing with you, bro, they don't uh, right in the patrol. If they're not, if they're not messing with you, they don't love you. Yeah, yes, sir. You know, and, and everybody, I gotta say, in Laredo sector, everybody's been amazing about it. Yeah. You know, it's it's been to the point where, like, uh, you know, it, I told you from the beginning. You know, when we you mentioned about doing this, I uh, I don't like <laughs> speaking about it like too much. I like uh, I think it's just it's just what every border patrol agent would have done. I honestly believe that the people in this agency, the people in law enforcement, mm -hmm. they they join this line of work because this is what we live for. You know, this is what what in our hearts what we believe in. And I think anybody would have done the same. Um, and, you know, it's, yeah. I, I don't feel anything, you know, out of the ordinary. I just did what was right. And uh, I just happened to be, you know, at the wrong place at the right time. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. You did what was right. Man, I, I just love hearing that, brother. Let me ask you, um, when you came home or uh, and, and you told your wife about this, how, how did she react? Um, so... As soon as the the, the the subject was in custody, I I had to call my wife. Yeah, uh, and and I called her, and because <laughs> so 
funny thing, uh, there was a thought in my head going the entire time, and it was like, I'm not going to be able to pick up the kids. I don't know why that thought was in my head. I just kept thinking, you know, while all these things were going on, I was like, man, I'm going to be late. I'm not going to pick up the kids. I need to let my wife know she needs to pick up the kids from school. <laughs> yeah. So as soon as it was over, the guy was in cuffs. The first thing I did was uh, I hosted my gun and uh, I called my wife. I was like, hey, babe, uh, I'm going to be delayed a little bit here. Um, I need you to please make sure you pick up the kids. And she told me, she's like, is everything okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's okay. She's like, no, no, it's not okay. Like, yeah. she knew yeah. it was not right. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> they instantly knew. They always not, know, right? They, they always know. And, you know, I tried not to worry her too much. You know, I was going to wait until I got home to tell her. But um, she, she knew something was wrong. So I was like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll call you in a little bit. I'll talk to you about it. So I didn't realize, you know, I started talking to the cops. They started looking at the evidence. So a couple hours had gone by. Yeah. So then I called her again. I was like, I'm so sorry. She's like, you've been in that parking lot for a couple hours. Like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. so I told her about it. And <laughs> she told me, she said, I'm relieved because she thought the doctor had given me some very bad news. Oh. And I just didn't know how to tell her. So I was just sitting in that parking lot, you know, trying to figure out a way to tell her. Oh. So she told me, I'm relieved. I am angry, I am stressed, and I'm very proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> so we could say technically that throughout this entire process, you were more afraid of your wife than you were a subject with, a, with an individual with a firearm. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, if I got hurt. <laughs> yeah, wife, she would hurt. kill you. She would kill me, yeah. and uh, then I would probably be forced to... Uh, you know, make sure I soup up and take an office job or, or, <laughs> or yeah. do something. Yeah. Well, you said that she's very mindful of that, right? That's why you wear a vest. That's why you carry off duty. Um, she worries. She does worry about you. Yes, she as, does. As, as most wives would, you know. Yes, yes. She is very more. Uh, she's very mindful of that. She tells me she's she is one of the reasons why I wear that vest. I wear my vest for my wife. I wear it for my family and for myself. But I know that when she sees me with the vest in the morning when I'm leaving to work, I know I give her a little bit of peace of mind. You know, and uh, there's something I saw one time on social media, you know, says I'd rather carry an extra few pounds than, you know, a couple ounces in the chest. Oh, and that's, wow. that's, you know, like I, I'd rather do a little bit of the extra heavy lifting, you know, train a little harder so I can run with my vest on. So I can, you know, jump a fence with my best on. So I can tackle a subject with my best on. But once I get that couple ounces in my chest, like it's over. You know, like there's really not much. I mean, I'll stay in the fight. But, you know, depending where the round is, depending where this, those couple ounces are placed on, it's game over. Yeah, that, that is true. Now, um, I don't want to break any um, HIPAA, I don't want to violate HIPAA or nothing, but you went there because of um, of a medical diagnosis, and all I'm going to ask is, are, are you going to be all right? Yes, yes, I, I'm good. <laughs> it's just going to be a lot of physical therapy and uh, getting my, my quad back in place. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> all right, well, uh, that that's good to know. So, uh, you, you, basically, you got what, thrown off a horse? Uh, yes, yes, I was at the... <laughs> I was in Hebronville at the at the academy because I've always loved horses. You know, I've never had the chance to have one. I owned one, and when I heard Border Patrol had horses, I mean, it doesn't get cooler than that. No, you know? it kind of doesn't, does it? 
I mean, you, you can you can track, you can you can go on like and you can do anything you want. You can be on a helicopter, man. I, I've been on armored up vehicles. I've shot fifty cows. I've done explosives. But once you told me you were able to wear a cowboy hat with chaps on a horse and do your job, I'm like, I mean, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know why, don't you? Yes, sir. Because that is our history, brother. That's how we started out. Every Border Patrol agent from 1924 up until a certain point was mounted patrol. Until we went from real horsepower to medic mechanical horsepower. Yes, sir. So that's and in our that's in our blood. It's our DNA. I definitely think about it. It's our agency's DNA. And I got to say this, you know, if any guy is thinking about doing it, you know, it was the best couple days I've had in the patrol. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I got all messed up, I mean, I had MRIs. <laughs> I never heard anybody be so happy after <laughs> filling out of after failing out of going to horse patrol. But yeah, it's it, you make it on the patrol, and I'm sure you're gonna try again. But it's that's instant legend right there. <laughs> yes, sir. I mean, that's that, the horses. I mean, I, I gotta say it again. You know, it was the best couple days. You know, even though it was feeding and, and shoveling crap and. and <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I was doing all this with a smile because I was just, hey, buddy, you know, with the horse right there. I was looking at all these cool guys walk in, you know, with their spurs and their hats and everything in between. I just look at them like I, I was fanboying, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was so cool. And I thought their jobs is, are so amazing. I, I couldn't wait. Well, brother, I'll tell you, um, I hate winding this conversation down, but um, I, I have to tell you, it's just impressive that uh, what you did and how you did it and how you carry yourself, you, you know, you've reinvigorated my faith in the patrol, my, you've inspired me, and I know that everybody listening to this podcast is going to walk away just a little bit more heartened because, uh, you know, we've been put through the ringer. And I, I'll, I'll even be honest, I've gotten negative a little bit. It's so angry at some of the things going on along the southern border uh, with the guys that are, you know, either processing all day long. Uh, there's just a handful of you guys out on the line trying to hold the line at the checkpoint, at the right on the border, on the, on the freeways. But you're still out there. Everybody's still out there, you know, really putting in the best they can. And... Um, uh, the main one of the other reasons why I wanted to get a hold of you is because uh, we're going to make history today because you'll be the first recipient of an award that I developed here at Old, Old Patrol HQ, which I called the Old Patrol um, History, Heritage and Legacy Award or medallion. And that's going to be given to agents who honor the history and the heritage and legacy of the patrol, both with a positive attitude and with their their actions that not only reflect how you wear the uniform and what you do in your uniform but uh also and especially what you do off duty you know in a situation like this where you know anything could have happened and um you went into it without even thinking and you used every tool at your disposal i mean you know, like I said, situational awareness, thinking about what your academy instructors drilled into you. You know, you used your border patrol training, you used your military, your army training, and that all came to play. Literally, you know, it all came together. It's almost like you've been trained your whole life for that moment. What do you think? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, yes. And, you, you know, there's something that I definitely got to say here. And, uh, and, you know, a, a lot of agents, you know, some here are getting jaded, other ones are getting, you know, a little demoralized. But th there is some that 
that somebody told me it was actually one of the management and he sat with me he definitely stuck with me and he said you know policies come and go leaders come and go but your brothers to the left and right you know the legacy of our agency it, it lasts forever and you know they can throw hurricanes at us uh, you know the guys in boats will respond and 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 do their job and go above and beyond mm -hmm. they can throw anything at us and and i know the agency will always respond with our values they would always respond and achieve excellence you know it's, it's just what's in us is the way we're trained is is what our agency stands for and it doesn't matter what happens it doesn't matter what changes as long as we got each other to the left and right like there's nothing we can't overcome there's nothing we can't accomplish yeah amen to that you know and i've been saying you know even with all this stuff going on like you said it's not going to be forever and it's not worth losing everything you've worked so hard for five to seven 12 years 15 years in the patrol you know um having now been mandatory retired since march i i miss a lot about it i it's a big hole in my heart that even though i'm i'm happy to be retired and i'm happy to be on my on my way i miss so much of it but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not gonna last forever. It can't last forever. Uh, something's got to give one at uh, one time, and we literally have to hold the line until then. Yes, sir. And and I think we are more than capable. And as long as we lean into each other and we're there for each other, like good brothers and sisters, it, not nothing can touch us. Nothing can take us. Yeah, because we are ultimately. Um, the men and women of the Border Patrol, your compa, your brother and sister out there in green, uh, we are each other's best line of defense. Yes, sir. Well, brother, I, I, it has been such an honor and such a pleasure to be sitting with you and hear your story. And uh, I hope that you recover quickly. And uh, uh, as, as the saying goes, get back in the saddle as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Anything um, you'd like to say before we close out? Uh, I guess uh, that the only thing I have to say to anybody that, that's hearing this is uh, I honestly think every other agent would have done the same thing I did. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I am proud to call every single one that makes it through my brother and sister. And uh, I'm happy to have you guys as my backup any day of the week. Amen to that, brother. Well, thank you again so much. Uh, blessings to you and your wife. Um, let me ask you, just out of curiosity, how old are you? I am 30 years old, sir. 30 years old. Okay. All right. Um, I remember when I was 30, but not, but barely. Well, brother, okay. again, thank you so much. Uh, God bless, Godspeed, stay safe. And I know that uh, your partners are in good hands out there in the field, right? Because uh, like the saying goes, you're a good man to ride the river with. Yes, sir. This concludes our interview with Josue Sepulveda, Class 1045 out of Laredo North, whose courage, professionalism, and quick thinking averted a possible catastrophe and saved lives right there in San Antonio, Texas. Please share these podcasts with everyone in the patrol. We can learn so much about how things are done in the old patrol and the new, and enjoy our rich history, heritage, and legacy that we all share with a few shenanigans along the way. Please take a look at all our official Old Patrol gear offered exclusively at Old Patrol HQ. Just go to Old Patrol HQ at BigCartel.com. Until our next episode, remember, there ain't no patrol like the Old Patrol. Honor first, honor always.